0: hello everyone and welcome to scream scene the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst my name's sarah
1: and i'm ben
0: thanks for listening to us today how are you doing on this beautiful fall day pretty
1: good sarah we've had kind of a um A chill weekend. We've been sort of like trying to relax at home.
0: Yes, I hope everyone out there is also having a beautiful fall day. Uh, We're getting closer and closer to All Hallows Eve. Uh, Obviously, the best holiday of the year. But what are we watching today, Ben?
1: Well, Sarah, today we are watching, as foreshadowed last week, Blood of Dracula from 1957 directed by herbert l strock
0: okay so teens dracula and girl yes so that's those are the three things i know about this great
1: you are (laughs) i got it prepped and ready
0: fantastic
1: yeah this film was the second half of the double bill with i was a teenage frankenstein for whatever reason they didn't go with i was a teenage vampire
0: that because it's like a double bill so it'd be like on the same poster right so that would have just been too much
1: exactly too
0: much teen
1: yes so uh like teenage frankenstein and teenage werewolf this was produced by herman cohen for american international pictures and like those two films it was written by him with aben candle under the name ralph thornton
0: also sounds like a real name
1: (laughs) this film was shot immediately after teen frankenstein uh by basically the same crew including director herbert l strock uh they shot the two films together in four weeks and together those two films cost ninety thousand dollars
0: now having seen teenage frankenstein you know they they use color film for the last reel uh you know, it's a mad scientist, so we got some fancy equipment. Would I be correct in assuming that obviously have sees on the budget, but team Frankenstein might have cost more than Blood of Dracula?
1: I think that's probably a fair assumption. I can't confirm the assumption, but what I can say is that well, the setting for Blood of Dracula is a all girls boarding school. And so for the most part, the cast is made up of women, uh, including a large number of like very young women who nobody hears like in their first role ever, but like a lot of people here are in their first movie role where their character has a name. Yeah. Um, and even the actresses here who have been in stuff before have been in like minor stuff before and they're all women. So, you know, across the board, probably everyone's getting paid less here than the people in Teenage Werewolf or Teenage Frankenstein. On average, we're getting paid.
0: Wage gap.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: the scariest thing of all. <laughs> so it sounds like no actors returned then. Um, that's not quite true. Okay.
1: So the film's cast of teen girls was made up of a variety of young actresses. Sandra Harrison, who is our lead, was 22 years old while Gail Ganley was 17 and Heather Ames was 21. luis Lewis, who was the <laughs> principal in I Was a Teenage Werewolf, uh she's our mad scientist this time.
0: Oh, a lady mad scientist. So yes, yeah, so
1: that's our sort of returning actress. Okay. Meanwhile, uh 27-year-old Don Devlin is our male lead and yes, Before you ask, Don Devlin is the father of Dean Devlin, the producer of Stargate, Independence Day, Godzilla, and The Patriot.
0: I was not going to ask, but thank you for the context.
1: (laughs) I'm sure someone listening was going to. (laughs) So the film was released on November 23rd, 1957. And as we noted last week, the double bill it was a part of grossed $310,000. A success, but not a teen werewolf level success. However, AIP would follow up both Teen Wolf and Teen Frank in 1958 with the movie How to Make a Monster, which is like a weird meta sequel.
0: Okay. Not follow up Blood of Dracula? Not
1: really. Okay. No. Um, They're like
0: girls. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, in the UK... Blood of Dracula would be released as blood is my heritage. Um, Isn't
0: it all of our heritage?
1: <laughs> possibly this was to avoid like being overshadowed or like competing with uh, hammer's Dracula, which would have been out by the time this movie came out in the UK. Okay. However, it does have a distinction over that film, which is that this is the first fanged English speaking vampire Mm. you can watch the movie stream the movie for free on tubi courtesy of scream factory awesome so that's 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 it um do you want to just like i don't know like talk about the weather or
0: (laughs) i will say that if you're just coming into scream scene now um blood of dracula features teens because of this teen phenomena that we are seeing first with I Was a Teenage Werewolf, then with last week's movie, I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. If you want to hear more about why teens, um, you can listen to our episode on I Was a Teenage Werewolf, episode 213, uh, or last week's episode, episode 224. So lots of opportunities to learn about teens here on t- Teen Scream scene scream teen scene you'll get there yes in any case hopefully you can watch along you're going to hear a brief musical interlude and when we come back we will discuss Blood of Dracula from 1957 directed by Herbert Strock.
1: see you on the other side everybody <laughs> Welcome back to Scream Scene, everybody. We just finished watching Blood of Dracula from 1957, directed by Herbert L. Strock. Sarah, what did you think of this
0: one? I can see the ties, the relation to Teen Werewolf. Mm -hmm. um, That is a lot more apparent in this movie than it is in Teen Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Overall, like, good, good show.
1: Yeah, I Was a Teenage Frankenstein was much more like, it's Frankenstein, but in the modern day, and the monster's a teen. Whereas Blood of Dracula is much more, it's I Was a Teenage Werewolf, but with a girl and she's a vampire. Yeah. Yeah.
0: When you hear um, that the producers wanted to rip off their own movie, Teen Mm. Werewolf, into this double feature, this is the movie I was expecting.
1: Right, exactly. You know? Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, overall, fairly good. Let me give y'all the plot. For sure. So we are introduced to Nancy Perkins. Um, she is a teen. Um, she says later in the movie that she's 18, which seems old for a teen, but I guess she's still technically a teen. Yeah. The reason I'm hung up on this is because she's being sent to Sherwood School for Girls mm-hmm. um, because her dad has gotten remarried to um, a woman that Nancy doesn't like and she's not happy with all of this. And they're like, okay, well, if we're shipping you off to boarding school, well, we go off on our honeymoon. And to me, if you're 18, you don't need to be shipped off to boarding school. But anyways... Nancy is uh, quick to anger, kind of a problem teen, hormonal. So she seems to be the perfect candidate for the science teacher, Miss Branding, and her experiments. So we get kind of introduced to the people at the school. There's like the headmistress, whatever. Um, Kind of the head clique at the school is, uh, they call themselves the Birds of Paradise, led by Myra. Now, Myra, uh, we also learn, like, each girl in this clique is kind of like a TA for one of the other uh, teachers. Myra is a TA for Miss Branding. Um, So she is a way for us to learn a bit more about what Miss Branding's experiments and scientific goals are, which are that uh, mankind, emphasis on the man, Mm -hmm. is going to destroy itself with the atom. And Mm -hmm. the atom bomb, because, Mm -hmm. like, who knows what effects radiation will have on evolution and yada yada.
1: Nuclear holocaust is definitely coming.
0: Because of men. Right. But what if we could look inside ourselves and find a source of power greater than the atom bomb within ourselves and tapped into that? That would be a much more natural nuclear deterrent. War deterrent mm-hmm. uh, and th- that is what she is researching. <laughs> it's similar to what
1: Whit Bissell's character was all about in Teenage Werewolf, where like it's this weird idea that like if I can prove that humanity is actually monsters and horrible, that'll stop nuclear war. I think in Whitbisell's opinion, it was nuclear war is going to happen
0: but he wanted to like rewind the clock on everyone's evolutionary stage
1: right whereas uh, miss branding's idea is that like if the scientists who work on nuclear weapons knew that humanity could turn into i mean vampires yeah draculas um they wouldn't work on nuclear weapons anymore which is like a weird like i don't follow her reasoning on that one but okay
0: now Myra is uh, kind of let down that uh, she's not able to help with Branding's experiments, um, but does introduce Nancy to Miss Branding. The experiments between Branding and Nancy start with uh, Branding hypnotizing Nancy using an old necklace. Now this necklace is kind of like a has an amulet with a cat eye gem in the middle, and it's from the Carpathian Mountains. <laughs> And it basically just hypnotizes Nancy, allows for Miss Branding to have like control over her and uh, to have select memories um, intact.
1: I love that Miss Branding's science experiment is like, like on the one hand, I like this better than Teenage Werewolf because Teenage Werewolf was like with injections and hypnosis, we can have you regress in your memories back to when mankind was werewolves, which None of that makes sense here. It's just, I'm going to use a magic amulet from Transylvania to hypnotize you into being a vampire, which because somehow because that's less scientific, I can buy it more, but it is, (laughs) it is hilarious that these are her science experiments. Like I'm just imagining like, no wonder your thesis has been rejected by so many places, gal, like you're, reports on your experiment are going to be like and then i used my magic amulet to hypnotize the girl and it's like mm, wait a minute
0: <laughs> so we get some scenes of teens doing teen things <laughs> um namely having a party uh and uh some boys come over and one of them gets to sing and they do a whole routine complete with like using cushions and as props it's like Okay. Yeah, there's like choreography
1: (laughs) (laughs) and everything.
0: I feel like this is the strongest case for linking Blood of Dracula to Teen Werewolf, TBH. Mm. But anyway, so teens. But that night, Miss Branding uses her amulet and does something to Nancy. And we see that a girl at the school named Nola is attacked and murdered in the basement. Now, the police get involved and they're baffled branding uh explicitly is making nancy forget like whatever happened nancy first thinks it was a dream and branding's like nah don't worry about it you, you've you'll remember what i tell you to remember that sort of thing and the police are like yeah man i don't fucking know and a young cop is like well i remember this story that um was told by another boy at my boarding school who had immigrated from Transylvania from the Carpathian mountains about Draculas and vampires and the other cops are like listen kid here here in big time city Chicago wherever we're set uh we don't talk like that
1: yeah we're in like I don't even know we're in like a fictional small town town, somewhere
0: yeah so he, he, he's laughed out of the room. It's a few weeks later, and it's Halloween night. The girls are organizing to get a scavenger hunt, and they get to go to the local cemetery with shovels to go dig up the things that have been hidden for the scavenger hunt.
1: This will go well. This
0: It sounds like it'll go terribly. Someone's going to end up digging up a body, and people are going to be mad. Now we see that... Uh, there's a girl at the school. Her name is Terry, and she's going steady with uh, the gardener. So, Terry is wandering through the graveyard, and we see her stumble upon Nancy. And Nancy's looking like she hasn't slept in weeks, like she is not looking good. And Terry's like, Huh, well, that's weird. I'm going to dig right here. <laughs> and then Nancy transforms into a Dracula. We get basically it's just like a cross dissolve on and we're focused on her face she gets um heavier makeup kind of a widow's peak dark hair longer hair and uh massive fangs like the biggest fangs yeah they're
1: they're not like what you're thinking when you think of vampire fangs it's like they're halfway to like count orlock fangs yeah it's um, uh it's gross
0: yeah, it's well done.
1: Um, but yeah, like she also gets pointed ears and pointed eyebrows. So I want you to like imagine <laughs> like a Romulan with like Eddie Munster's hair and like
0: cling on teeth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah.
0: Um she attacks and kills Terry. And then uh one of the, the local boys who happened to come to that one party, his name is Tab. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hey, baby. That's a a nice ass you got there. Why don't you put it on my tab?
0: Oh my God, Ben! I was thinking like the soda. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's the heir to the soda fortune. Uh, he's the one who was singing and dancing. Um, he gets attacked and killed as well.
1: <laughs> you want to come over to my place and have a taste of some of my tab?
0: Oh, gross, Ben, Benjamin. This is an all-ages podcast. It is not.
1: <laughs> we are an explicitly tagged, explicit podcast.
0: Yeah, so we have two more murders. Police are like, oh, what the fuck is going on? And then, like, that young rookie cop is like, what about Dracula? And they're like, no, <laughs> fuck out of here. Um, and Nancy's growing more and more confused. Um, she even goes to Miss Branding, and she's like, no, don't worry. Like, it's fine. Don't worry. My experiment. (laughs) It's worth it. To further confuse Nancy, she has a boyfriend named Glenn um, who we we have known about um, because we hear about him and when she's like first moved to Sherwood, she has a picture of him. Um, So cute. Uh, So he shows up because he's like, there's murders happening at your school and I got worried and you weren't responding to my letters. So here I am. And... As they're talking, Nancy gets this impulse to like bite his neck and to kill. Yeah. Uh, So she like runs off and goes to Miss Branding and she's like, Enough of this, Miss Branding. Like, I don't know what your experiment is and I don't know what you're doing, but you need to release me. Like, you need to like stop doing this with me. I I can't go through this anymore. And Branding's like, No, you'll listen to me and pulls out her amulet. Nancy. Turns and then attacks Miss Branding. Uh, they struggle. Um, Nancy gets pushed off and basically lands on one of those, you know, like the um, like pen holder things, like you'd pick up a pen that used to be at the bank, sure. you know, so they're like propped up. Yeah. So she lands on one of those. Is that what
1: she landed on? Yeah, that's what okay. she landed on. I just, I just saw it like she falls and then she has something sticking up, you know, through her chest. And I was like, why does Miss Branding's like office have like spike traps in
0: it? Like, I don't <laughs> understand
1: what happened.
0: And also in the struggle, some chemicals got spilled and exploded and killed Miss Branding, uh, as well as burned up her manuscript. So no one can read the, the notes of Miss Branding. Mm. Um, just after all of this happens, uh, Glenn, the school had missed... Mistress and Myra come in, and Myra's like, "Oh, I should have told you all about these experiments sooner. It's all my fault." Uh, and these, and the manuscript is is burned up, so no one will ever know what was going on. And the headmistress is like, "Yes, because God and meddling with life, etc." Mm-hmm. The end. Anything you want to add to that? I I kind of glossed over some things because we didn't need to spend time on them. Yeah, there's a lot
1: of like. Just like the previous two movies, there's a lot of filler in here. Um, Personally, I think this is the best of the Teen Monster movies so far. Um, It is basically just Teen Werewolf again. And, you know, Teen Werewolf gets the points for doing it first and all of that but it feels like they have a lot of the kinks worked out by this time. Like this is their <laughs> third time Sorry. doing this story.
0: I, I laugh at kinks cause we're set at a girl's school and there's just.
1: All right, Sarah, Sarah, <laughs> um, we're an
0: all ages podcast.
1: <laughs> so like if it just feels like with repetition, they're getting better at telling yeah. this same story. Um, I talked about how, the mad science here is still nonsense, but like it's more forgivable nonsense, particularly because, like, although the ending's still the same, where it's like you couldn't control your teen and they like turn on you, at least Miss Branding, as opposed to the scientist in Teen Werewolf, like knew she was turning Nancy into a vampire.
0: Yes. Like, it wasn't like, oops, werewolf.
1: Like, dude in Teenage Werewolf is like oh i'm going to unlock your secret memories of being a wolf or whatever and then when people start like dying and his assistant is like hey man did we make a a werewolf you know he's like eh, it's not important if people die who cares science is more mm-hmm. important and then when his subject you know when when he turns his subject into a werewolf in front of him and the werewolf attacks, he's like super surprised. He's like who could have foreseen like <laughs> you know, it, it was very like leopard eating face party kind of moment. Yeah. Um here this is much more of just like a standard like you know, you couldn't you thought you could control this thing and you couldn't, right? Like she's making Nancy go out and kill things. It's not like a weird byproduct she wanted to create a dangerous super soldier.
0: Yeah. What I thought was kind of interesting is when Nancy is like asking to be released, um, and Miss Branding is like, don't feel bad for what you've done because I'm the one who's doing it. Mm-hmm. And Nancy has this line that's like, like master and slave, kind of a- a- equating their relationship like that. And Miss Branding says, it's more like brain and arm. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really had a um, mad scientist and their creation talk about their relationship like that before. Right. Um, So I thought it was interesting, especially with the idea of, like, the explicitness of, like, no, you're my tool. Yeah. Um, And I think because of the mention of, like, Master Slave, it got me thinking about, like, how this dynamic relates to like the original zombies and stuff like that. And wondering, trying to think back to the chronology of everything. If we saw this kind of dynamic of mad scientist using creation to kill, um, anytime before we got zombies in pop culture. Um,
1: Yeah, I would say so, because it's the relationship between Caligari and Cesare.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: But I think what's unique here is oftentimes the mad scientist's, like, blunt instrument that they send out to kill people, like, can't talk to them, really. Mm -hmm. Um, So we get some of those conversations here, like we did in Teenage Frankenstein and Teenage Werewolf. Like, these movies are about sort of the relationship between, like, teens and, like, bad mentor figures basically and in all three movies there's sort of a sense that the adults like don't really regard the teen as like a person yeah with like their own rights and agency there is you know i it's nice to have like a movie like i mean so this movie passes the Bechtel test <laughs> uh low bar yes um intentionally low bar But, uh, you know, it was kind of nice to have like instead of like like Miss Brandon gets the standard. um, They laughed at me, but I'll prove them wrong speech. Only it's men. All my failures are because like men don't respect women and stuff. So I'll show them by making a science vampire. Um, So that was kind of like cool to tap into that motivation.
0: There's also a moment where um, the coroner is like. Well, I don't know who what's causing like the these pricks in their neck. Like it could be a madman. And the police lieutenant's like, or mad woman. Right. Basically. Like we yeah. don't know the gender. Nothing points to the gender of the person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was very... and it's like, see, women can be killers too. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. Girl boss. <laughs> um, Lean
0: in, girls. Right,
1: exactly. Um, yeah, that was kind of fun. I think the various elements of the plot hold together better here but that said you don't notice it as much this time but there is still like that sense of things being introduced and forgotten yes like at least glenn does come back and prove important um but like nancy's parents may as well have like dropped off the face of the earth once they drop her off at the school and once again lengthy police subplot goes nowhere yeah and okay we can have some fun at the expense of the police and be like we'll see like police never solve murders but like in terms of a movie script where you've spent like 20 minutes out of your hour and a half movie with these cops and you know this time like there's a Uh, This young rookie cop who's like, what if it's vampires? And everyone's like, nah, man. And you're expecting like him to be like, "Ah, I'm not sitting around here while they say I can't do things. I'll go off and do my own investigation. And then like, you know, he's thinking about the Carpathian Mountains and branding has an amulet from the Carpathian Mountains. And maybe he'll like see her wearing it and like put two and two together and like come to the, the rescue. And that never happens.
0: There is a cop who does notice the amulet and is like, huh, you must really value that amulet, Miss Branding. Yeah, like the police lieutenant like
1: questions her about it and she like brushes him off, whatever, and then leaves. And then he ends that scene like turning to the camera, stroking his chin like, hmm.
0: And it hmm." goes nowhere. It goes
1: nowhere. There's like a lengthy scene where they polygraph Nancy to the extent where they explain how a polygraph works um, as if the audience doesn't know. And that isn't really important. Um, Miss branding, uses the amulet to like mind control Nancy into her answers, not setting off the polygraph basically. Yeah. But like, it doesn't like this police subplot doesn't go anywhere because once again, all that happens at the end is someone like goes and grabs the nearest authority figure and brings them in.
0: Yeah. I think what's, interesting is like in Teen Werewolf we also have a police subplot and it's like the old janitor from Transylvania specifically the Carpathian Mountains who's like werewolves exist these attacks look like werewolf attacks but that ends up going somewhere right but they were like okay well police in Carpathian Mountains seed from teen werewolf into this movie but they're not actually cultivating that
1: yeah like the cops are useless in i was a teenage werewolf but they're useless because like they don't make it in time yes right and then they're like wow this will be fucked up to report but like the cops in teenage frankenstein and blood of dracula just disappear also blood of dracula bad title Um, She isn't of the blood of Dracula. She hasn't gotten like a transfusion from the blood of Dracula. Dracula only comes up in the context of someone saying, you know, legends about vampires and Dracula, like just as an aside. Um, But it has
0: the name value. Yes. brand recognition. That's right. Um, The makeup, like we kind of talked about it. It's like, Okay. It's fine.
1: It feels cheap.
0: Yes. But what I was surprised at is that she doesn't turn sexy.
1: Yes. Um, I was also surprised by that.
0: Yeah, because we've seen in the past, even movies from like this year or the year before, where like, oh, she's going evil. She's going sexy. I think it's Cat Girl that comes to mind, actually. She just had like this extra like makeup stuff on and the makeup isn't like to make her look like a model. Yeah, or She something. like, she like
1: looks worse, right? Yeah. Like she, she has like a weird widow's peak and shit, right? Like she looks monstrous. Exactly. Um, and that I can appreciate that from the point of view of the fact that woman goes evil, woman gets sexier is like a really tired and unfortunate trope. Mm-hmm On the other hand, it feels inexplicable on the part of the filmmakers, because you've got like a bunch of girls in an all girls school, like, like you're making an exploitation movie, like you're making a drive in movie. So why wouldn't you make her sexy? Um, We haven't seen that many female vampires Mm -hmm. so far, but we have seen a few. Um, They've all tended towards being, you know, alluring, we'll say. And, you know, the movies understand that, like, vampires are supposed to be alluring, at least, like, from Lugosi onward. I mean, Lugosi was definitely attractive. Carradine, I think, was, like, more charming than sexy. Yeah. Um, But, you know, like, they clearly have the idea. They they know that's how this is supposed to kind of work. So it was really interesting that they didn't go that way with this
0: yeah i think it's interesting i'd be very curious to know like if there had been a discussion about it or if they just didn't or, think of it yeah
1: just exactly
0: um speaking of like sexism i guess mm. this seems like a fun enough place to kind of pivot so we've seen with misbranding we've seen in that uh moment with the cops them talking about, like, oh, man, it's tough for girls out there. Right. Girls can do anything. They can be murderers, too. Right. That sort of thing. And it struck me, like, it often strikes me in movies that are, like, girl power (laughs) things where sexism or the challenges that exist within patriarchy are only brought up when women are involved. Like, these... I think it struck me with the cop scene because like in no other case have, has someone said, well, we don't know the gender of the killer Right. when like they don't know the gender of the killer just happens to be a man in those other movies.
1: Right, right, right. No one, no one like makes that suggestion in a movie where the killer turns out to be a dude.
0: Yeah. 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 So it's, it's interesting how that seems to be a, uh, I guess, trope, like a common occurrence in movies that are like, hey, women.
1: Right. Yeah, I, totally. We we question like, OK,
0: because Partially, patriarchy affects men, too. It y- doesn't go away if women aren't in, on screen or anything.
1: Absolutely. I think part of this is because of the way that like theming works in narrative. Yeah. So it's like if I'm making you know, a movie with sort of a feminist theme. Not that I think like blood of Dracula is feminist, but you know what I'm trying to say?
0: It's feminist in the sense that, Hey, women are on screen. Right, right. It's woman centric. Exactly. There we go.
1: So when you're making a movie like that, it's on your mind, like let's make comments about feminism and, and sexism and the gender inequalities and so on. Um, and it's not really on your mind when you're like making other scripts, but like, absolutely you can still have feminist dialogue or things that challenge the patriarchy in movies that aren't explicitly about that. And in fact, it's probably more valuable in movies like that because like when I'm watching Captain Marvel, what I want is to just see Captain Marvel be a badass and cool and save the day and like be a hero and And not
0: have someone lean over and be like, and she's a woman too.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. And like, Captain Marvel can be a feminist icon by just being a superhero. Who's a woman, like just by being the hero of the movie, she's inspiring to young girls and blah, 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 blah. We don't really need to have like the scene where like the dude is like, why don't you smile more? Or like, you know, to dress microaggressions. And like, we don't need to really have a subplot about how like she could have been the best, whatever but like Jude Law was all sexist towards her and stuff like you don't need that stuff in that movie and by putting them in that movie it starts to feel a little bit like the movie thinks you're dumb yeah a little like you reach the end of the movie and you're like yeah I get it girl boss okay cool fine whereas yeah if <laughs> if we were watching like 7 right and <laughs> and um you know Morgan Freeman was like well the killer, he seems to be obsessed with religion.
0: That is a terrible Morgan Freeman.
1: And and Brad Pitt was like, uh, oh, we, we don't know that the killer's a, a man. It could be a woman. You know? And it's like, oh yeah, my bad. I guess you gotta teach this old dog new tricks. Like you know, like that that's fine. That line can be in there. <laughs> what were we talking about?
0: Oh my god. Yeah, it just um to kind of bring this back to Blood of Dracula, it feels when it's like we're only going to address these sexist issues when, hey, look, women on screen. Um, it feels almost like a tokenizing kind of thing. Um, and also makes the fact that, like, hey, women and girls school here in this movie more of a gimmick than just like let's just tell a movie. Sure. On the
1: other hand, I'll point out that it's 1957 and we haven't really gotten anything like this in horror before. Like we've had female led horror movies where like, you know, we have cat people or cat girl or, um, Aquanetta or whatever, like Mm -hmm. movies where a woman's the monster, but like the POV hasn't felt like a, a, a woman centric POV like it is here where like, all, where the only men are the, like the cops and like side characters, but like all the main characters are women. It's women talking to women, women you know being around other women. All of those movies are still like very male gazy. It's like *Cult of the Cobra*, right? Where like the villain is a woman, but like the povs from all these like men who are like getting targeted by her, right? And they're still very like, hey, hey boys, let's go bowling, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, like that's fair it feels weird to be like, so props to the makers of this movie for not making an exploitation film when it was like right in front of them.
1: Right. Sure. Um, I'll also say that like, because it's 1957, I think it's worth giving a little bit of points to this movie for some of the like quote unquote feminist dialogue because that stuff wasn't like, um, it's not like this movie's from the early seventies when like women's lib was like a, a cultural mainstream kind of topic and issue sure. where like i could expect to see a movie from like 1973 where you know the lady cop comes into the scene and like the guy detective's like oh did you bring me coffee sugar and she's like no actually i'm your supervisor or like whatever women's lib blah. um it's a little cooler to see it in a movie from 1957 yeah that's fair hard turn over to just like talking about the movie again. I thought the performances were pretty
0: good across the board. Um, Oh, I disagree. Oh no. Uh, I think like they were all right, but like, no, (laughs) they were not
1: good. I didn't think anyone was super bad here. I thought Louise Lewis particularly seemed to be like enjoying herself quite a bit. I have to imagine that like, it's been a long time since she had a role that let her have like this much fun and like do this much and talk about things other than like, here are your reports, sir, or whatever. Um, so I quite liked her in this. Um, we talked a bit about the musical interlude. (laughs)
0: It was Friday night and it sure was hot I had my daddy's car with a convertible top We drove by the light of the moon above And my baby said, oh yeah, let's make some puppy love It's about having sex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like He's what like, rock
1: and roll song isn't?
0: It is a better song than the one we get in Teen Werewolf. Yes. Where it was very um, white
1: it was very old white man trying to reverse engineer what a rock song sounds like.
0: Whereas this song called Puppy Love, like it, it sounded like it worked better.
1: Yeah, this sounded more like a white songwriter trying to reverse engineer what like a hit pop song sounds like. Yeah. Um, it's not like gonna burn up the charts, but it sounded more believably like a real song. Yeah. I think the the kid who's singing it here is better and, and sounds more like a pop rock singer than the kid in the other movie. Yeah. The thing I just want to comment about with it, because it's the same thing in both movies. So I'm just putting this out there to our listeners. If you were in your teens in the late fifties and thus you are like 80 something now, Um, Please call in and let me know if putting on an instrumental version of a song and then having like one person at the party sing it for the entertainment of everyone else was like a real thing anybody ever did. Because it just doesn't strike me like real human behavior, but these movies act like it's just a thing people do.
0: Well, I think the reason why it strikes it as odd in these movies is there's full choreography along with it. Sure. uh, With the premise of we're putting on an instrumental track for us to do karaoke to. It's like if you went to karaoke night and then everyone happened to be like breaking into flash dances. Sorry, flash mobs (laughs) with every song. It's
1: like... I could see teens putting on a record and singing along to it, but like putting on an instrumental version so that you can be the sole singer for it. Like that's so weird to me. Like I get that it's a movie. I get that it's a movie, but it's, it's weird.
0: Speaking of the fact that it's a movie, um, I will shout out the cinematography, music, and directing. Yeah, um, they're all doing like some really good work here. The shadows are really awesome. Yeah, this
1: movie looks good. It has cool angles,
0: active camera, uh, and it's not like just Dutch angles. You <laughs> yeah, know? like we're we're doing like stuff for a purpose here.
1: Yeah, the movie looks really good. Um, much better than Teenage Frankenstein looked last week.
0: I think Teen Frank was doing some stuff, but um, I think they probably had a bit more opportunities uh, with going outside, basically. So I I think there's that. It's also probably like, you know, they knew they only had like two weeks, like a week to film Teen Frank, a week to film this one. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they knew, okay, we have time to take some extra steps here. And because like
1: this movie doesn't have like the big wild mad scientist set and like some of the makeup stuff that was like going on in teen Frankenstein. Like there's less special effects. So maybe that means there's more time for shadows. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I totally agree on that as well. I thought this movie looked good. It has like decent atmosphere. Um, like understands that the premise of horror movies is to frighten people, you know,
0: A horror movie. Right, exactly. So let's see where it ranks with other horror movies. So where were you looking?
1: Well, as I said, I liked this the best of these three teen movies. Um, so I was a teenage werewolf is at number forty-five. Um, I said that like Teenage Werewolf deserves a lot of credit for like being the first, for being innovative, all of that sort of thing. Right above Teenage Werewolf is Back from the Dead which is the movie where the ex-wife possesses the current wife. Yeah. Um, And there's a cult and a bunch of other stuff going on. Um, I thought this was maybe better than that because as much as like the police subplot gets dropped, you you kind of follow the story here. There isn't anything as wild as just like a sudden cult subplot and, and a bunch of stuff that doesn't seem to make sense. I thought this was better put together potentially Right above that, though, is Queen of Spades. And, like, this isn't better than Queen of Spades. Let's not kid ourselves. So I just sort of picked out number 44 as my spot. Okay. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So um, just for context, because that's what we're all about, um, I Was a Teenage Werewolf is number 45. I Was a Teen Frankenstein is number 53. Mm -hmm. So I was also bouncing between these two movies. Um, On the one hand, yes, I think Blood of Dracula handles the formula set by Teen Werewolf uh, and polishes it up and does it in a really good way. Alternatively, thinking about Teen Frankenstein, that movie had a lot more scares and chills for me than Blood of Dracula. Um, with the callousness of the doctor um, and the hearing of the screams and all of that, the, like, sustained holds on those moments Mm. Um, versus Blood of Dracula where it was like, yep, and now now you're going to kill that person and that person. Those moments were handled very well, um, but in terms of what I personally found scary. Mm. So I was feeling like my range would be between 45 and 53, Because I I just, I was really torn about all these things. Um, I will say that I can get behind your argument of putting this at 44. However, the performances in Back from the Dead are much better than Blood of Dracula, in my opinion. So I would suggest putting this below Back from the Dead, but above Teenage Werewolf, if we were going to go that high.
1: Yeah, so you, you sort of liked I Was a Teenage Frankenstein better than this, yeah?
0: Yeah, I I remember when we were ranking, I mean, that was only last week, but I remember when we were ranking Teen Frankenstein, um, I was looking above Teen Werewolf. Yes. Whereas you were looking below, um, and we wound up kind of at this, like, um, compromised spot. Mm-hmm. What's tough is that looking at Teen Frankenstein, yes, I prefer that movie more than Blood of Dracula. Right above Teenage Frankenstein is The Abominable Snowman, which handles tension way better than blood of dracula so i'm kind of like well what do you think of there
1: what do you think about blood of dracula versus black sleep
0: um i think i prefer blood of dracula because it's using its pieces to their full potential a little clumsily at times but you know doing a better job than black sleep okay
1: do you want to stick this movie in at the new number 54
0: then that's pretty low from where you were looking is Is that all right? How do you feel about
1: that? I'm fine with that.
0: Okay, cool. Well, yeah, let's do that.
1: All right. Entering the list at the new number 54 is Blood of Dracula from 1957, directed by Herbert L. Strock.
0: If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, screamscenepodcast.tumblr.com. There you can find links to the other episodes we've mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, including past episodes, You can drop us a line through our ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at ScreamScenePodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore ScreamScene.
1: ScreamScene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can subscribe to the show using our RSS feed, and you can help the show out by leaving us a rating or a review. Tell your friends about the show over social media or in real life if it is safe for you to do so. Or if you have the disposable income, you can head on over to patreon.com slash podcast, where you can become a creature of the night for as little as a dollar a month patrons at the five and ten dollar level get access to regular bonus content for five dollar patrons our weekly bonus audio on mondays has been from our horror adjacent episodes something a little special for the halloween month for our ten dollar listeners um sarah's been doing her continuing gothic retrospective series and the most recent one <laughs> is an old Gothic fragment she wrote back in her English degree days from 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, I couldn't believe it uh when I looked at the date of the submission for this assignment.
1: We found it in a musty old hard drive.
0: <laughs> um and so that, you know, there's context about like what the fuck a gothic fragment is and all that jazz.
1: Why she had to write one.
0: Yeah. I did remove the professor's name and course number because uh, that just felt Got to protect
1: the innocents. Now I'm sure Sarah would love for you to read this fragment and then head to the Patreon comments section and let her know what you think about it.
0: Uh, You can, you don't have to. Oh God.
1: (laughs) Then there's our monthly horror adjacent episodes, which, are available free for everyone, but are produced thanks to the
0: support of our fine patrons and listeners like you. Um, (laughs) And this month is going to be on the 91, the Adams family.
1: Yes. A favorite around castle scream scene. And I'm sure a favorite of yours as well. Finally, we always have a bonus episode for our patrons for Halloween, uh, which is a Sunday this month. And this time, our bonus Halloween episode is something a little different. Uh, Rather than covering a special educational topic (laughs) like HEWAC
0: and uh, Vera
1: West and the production code and things like that, um, it's going to be more of just like a freeform discussion between me and Sarah about horror subgenres, specifically with Sarah representing gothic horror.
0: What a surprise. And
1: I am representing sci-fi horror. What um, a twist. Thematically related to the 1950s as this is sort of the point when those subgenre divisions uh really became very clear.
0: So that's all very exciting things coming up later this month, but what do we have coming up next week?
1: Well, Sarah, Dana Andrews said that prunes gave him the runes. And we'll find out more with the return of director Jacques Tunur in next week's film Night of the Demon.
0: Oh shit, this is a big one. Mmm. But what's what does this have to do with prunes?
1: I was quoting the opening song of the Rocky Horror Picture Show.
0: Awesome. <laughs> Exciting.
1: Very much so. See you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye.